Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is dialogue. Hello and welcome to dialogue. A delegation of Muslim and Arab diplomats have met with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi in Beijing as part of a global effort to gain support to end hostilities in Gaza as the civilian death toll continues to rise. Countries of the Global South have uh, emphasized the calls for peace, while Western countries that have supported Israel's incursion into Gaza are also urging for an immediate ceasefire. Is Israel heeding these calls? What more can the international community do to deliver humanitarian assistance to the thousands of Palestinians caught in the crossfire? Can a temporary truce be made or will the violence continue? To help us answer these questions and more, I'm joined by Peter Pandey, researcher at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Jakarta, Indonesia, Professor Wang Jian from the Northwest University of China, and Rick Danham, visiting scholar of Tsinghua University. That's our topic. I'm Xu Qingdo. Welcome to Dialogue. Uh, Wang Jin, I will start with you. So the delegation was in China. Uh, so what do they hope to achieve you know, by visiting China? I think the delegation uh, uh, hoped to, on the one hand, to contact with China, to understand China's stances and China's expectation uh, over the possible uh, pores, or we call it, if we call it to use the term pores, of the military conflict between Israelis and the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And on the other hand, to hope to get the attention from the international society and facilitate the further cooperation uh, over China, with China, for example, in the United Nations platform and other international platform to facilitate the possible peace future between Israel and the Palestinians. We have to know that the delegation uh, was composed not only by the Arab states, for example, they had Saudi Arabia, but also they have uh, Another very important state, Indonesia, who, who has the most uh, the, the Muslim population in this world. So also played a very key role in the peace process between Israel and Palestinians and also have a lot of the voices in other international mechanisms. So that is why the delegation for China is important and China hopes to, to use its opportunities to, to make more consensus among the international society to facilitate, to encourage the possible uh, peaceful motivations between Israel and Palestinians and also to hope uh, to form a new mechanism not to end this round of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, but also encouraged and facilitated the, the future uh, peace contact and the peaceful negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians to, to find the possible lasting and just a peace between the two sides as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, enduring uh, peace there. Uh, we have a Peter from uh, Indonesia. Uh, Peter, you know, as reported, the delegation will visit uh, the best capitals of the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, uh, namely the US, China, Russia, France, and the UK. Um, but they made their first stop in China. Uh, so is there any special sense, special uh, expectation by making their first stop in Beijing here? I guess the expectation is that it's to garner support from China, who has historically ha held positive relations with Arab and Muslim states in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia. Um, as we know, uh, throughout the decolonization process in the 60s and 70s and the 50s, um, I believe China supported Egypt and Lebanon against foreign intervention, and Arab states also supported China in their ascension to the membership of the Security Council. So I guess. The first visit to China is to garner support, as China is also a rising geopolitical player in the Middle Eastern region, as seen in their uh, rising economic 
cooperation with many Muslim states in the region. So it's a convenient first visit to make. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Rick, uh, yeah, as uh, Peter said, that China you know, does enjoy a strong relationship with uh, Arab nations and also Muslim countries, as well as Israel, if you look at the relationship which is uh, stable, which is friendly. What kind of a role do you see China could play uh, in resolving this conflict? Well, I think you, you just pointed out something very significant. Uh, I mean, China has close ties not only with the nations uh, represented in the delegation coming to Beijing, but also with Iran. And uh, it's, it's very important for a solution to this problem that China uh, works with Iran to make sure that there are not attacks on uh, U.S. forces uh, in the uh, in, in, in the region and also uh, make sure that Hezbollah does not expand the conflict. And so China can really play that role. The other is that China does have good economic ties with Israel and there is a matter of trust between the Israeli government and the Chinese government. China is pro-Arab. China is uh, pro-Palestine. But China and Israel have, have a relationship of trust and and Israel believes that China can be an honest broker trying to uh, resolve the situation and can work Israel can work through China can communicate uh, with Arab nations through China even if it can't communicate directly with them. Mm -hmm. uh, Wang Jin, you know, speak of this honest broker. Um, I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, Western nations, uh, you know, they play a probably a more important role in terms of influencing the behavior of Israel or the, uh, you know, close relationship there. But do you see their, you know, their attitudes or their policies, uh, you know, have, you know, evolving or if not changing on this, you know, as the violence continues and, and we see, you know, the casualties, uh, you know, continue to rise there? Yes, uh, I think the attitudes, as you mentioned, of the Western countries over this round of the conflict between Israelis and the Palestinians actually under transformation. Uh, because at the very beginning, we have already witnessed the very strong and assertive attitudes from the Western, uh, many Western countries, governments towards Israelis. They, they say, okay, Hamas was so-called, was the so-called terrorist group, and the Israeli has the right to use their self-defense activities to, to launch strikes back, uh, uh, backs against the targets inside Gaza Strip. But as time goes by, uh, with, uh, with larger waves of the humanitarian crisis uh, erupted, in the Gaza Strip, and a lot of Western countries, they have they started to soften their attitude. They have started to soften their voices, uh, especially supportive voices over Israelis. They hope to, to bring the peace back to the region as soon as possible, to hope to, hope to organize the humanitarian aids uh, as early as possible. But what I have to say that, yes, maybe their attitudes, oral attitudes transform, but their activities, especially their deeds, uh, did not uh, ha have not changed because uh, they still, uh, on the many occasions, they still supported Israeli's government uh, activities and the, especially the military operation. And look at the, the, the offer, they offer nearly nothing uh, significant um, humanitarian aids and humanitarian goods to help the local Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. So they, uh, especially for some European countries, they are very close, uh, I mean, geographically, they are very close to the Gaza Strip. They could bring more uh, humanitarian goods timely, uh, uh, immediately to Egypt and through Egypt to the Gaza Strip, but actually, I don't think they do. They, 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 they were what they did and what they are.
are doing is enough to help the Palestinians there. So that is why I think that the other parts of the state, I mean, especially the developing countries, especially Islamic and Arab states, and also including China, could do more to, on the one hand, help to pacify the tensions, and on the other hand, to help to, to give more international uh, humanitarian aids to the local people in the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, Peter, of course, uh, it seems like uh, there is a pressure uh, from the Arab world, from Muslim countries in particular, I mean, Global South in general, on uh, the uh, Western nations, uh, you know, in particular, if you, I mean, I think some of the, you know, capital, some of the politicians are paying attention to that. For example, European Council President uh, Charles Michel emphasized in the recent view that, uh, uh, in a recent interview that, you know, EU, uh, he basically urging the EU to avoid double standards in its approach to the conflict there. And the Malaysian uh, prime minister, you know, in, I think he was speaking in front of uh, U.S. President Biden, saying that, you know, uh, U.S. has been pressuring Malaysia to condemn Russia over Ukraine crisis. But, uh, you know, Washington or the West has largely remained, you know, silent on the uh, rise of the uh, fatalities of civilians in the Gaza Strip there. Do you see, you know, as someone from the Indonesia, uh, one of the countries there, uh, do you see there's a public sentiment, you know, there, there are probably some double standards practiced there, Peter? Yeah, you could say that there have been double standards uh, present in the Palestinian issue for many, many decades. But I think an important point that Professor uh, Wang Jin, I believe, brought up is that the sentiment has started to change. And we've seen that with uh, president of the French president's um, changing opinion to condemn, I believe, Israel for their actions in, the, in Gaza for this particular conflict. Um, I believe that's an important sort of progression towards Western states. And even though in the EU there's only been Ireland, Spain, and Belgium, and now in, in addition France, I believe, who have um, condemned Israel for their actions. But I think politicians are taking notice across, the weather, across Western states. The US, the UK, and Russia recently abstained from the UNSC resolution to cease all conflict in the region uh, only because the resolution didn't mention a combination of Hamas. Uh, so I believe attitudes are changing and politicians are taking notice of the tolls and casualties on civilians in Gaza. Mm -hmm. Well, Peter, because of that, can we be optimistic that, uh, you know, uh, maybe there will be more pressure probably on the Israeli side from even uh, Western capitals so we can reach you know, whatever deal that will be, a ceasefire maybe at least to stop the conflicts very soon? Yeah, uh, recent developments I believe from Reuters brought up that a truce agreement will be announced by Qatar in the coming few days. I think the last development was that one, the minor thing that is still, still being debated upon is how long the truce agreement would be and also regarding uh, exchanges of hostages from the Hamas side and also prisoners, Palestinian prisoners from the Israeli side. So um, truce agreements in these situations are very tricky and they are very sensitive. Um, the hope is that the, it will come about in the next coming few days. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick, what's your you know, sense of uh, your assessment about uh, you know, uh, the reports saying that you know, a, host pay, a hostage deal is very close uh, to be reached between Hamas and the, the Israeli side? Uh, I guess most people would say that's a positive development. Uh, and will that help be helpful in bringing the two sides you know, finally to have a ceasefire, you know, which will be long enough probably to solve this conflict? Yeah, the, the answer is it's, it's an essential um, first step toward uh, de-escalation and, and 
if we can hope for an event eventual uh, resolution of this. I mean, we, we, what we absolutely need is release of all hostages. Uh, we also need a, an end to killing of innocent uh, civilians. We need an end to firefights inside of hospitals. Uh, and the first step would be to have a prisoner swap as such. The hostages who have no reason to, have, I mean, they were innocent to begin with, need to be released and as many as possible. Uh, we need to have a stoppage of the uh, military action to ensure safety for as long as possible. And I think that that is the only reason that, that, that we, we haven't had an announcement of a deal that the uh, United States and, uh, and, and Qatar are trying to get as many hostages released and uh, a ceasefire or a pause for as long as possible. Uh, Wang Jin, of course, along with that, uh, we know, you know, beyond the Gaza Strip, there's also violence in the West Bank, uh, the settlement issue. Uh, so what do you make sense of that? You know, why, you know, are we seeing, it's like, a, you know, not only the one front, you know, conflict, uh, probably there, another front, there are increasing violence, it's creating more problems rather than solving the, the issue there. Yes, the West Bank is another a very important uh, area that could be uh, expanded and, the, the, and it could be escalated into the, another round of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, as you mentioned. Because on the one hand, we have to know that the Jewish settlements, especially the Jewish settlers, their numbers uh, has been uh, increased very significantly uh, during the past decade. I mean, the, ten, during the past 10 years. Uh, more and more waves of the Jewish settlers in uh, they, they flooded into the the, the, the settle the, the West Bank or from their term they called it the Judea, Judea and Samaria another uh, Jewish name for this region so uh, so uh, so that so that is why they hope to to uh, expand their settlements area they hope to expand increase their settlers numbers so that's why this leads to the more conflicts between Israelis settlers and the local Palestinians and then on the other hand we cannot forget that this round of the crisis and the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians in the Gaza Strip provoked the anger the anger of a lot of the Palestinian people in the East Jerusalem as well as in the West Bank because these people they believe they are uh, they should do something many of the local people they believe they should do something to retaliate against the Israeli settlers and on the other hand they should do something to maintain their rights of their homes so that is why we have already witnessed on the one hand the large growing possibilities of the tax from the Palestinians against the Jewish settlers in the West Bank on the other and on the other hand larger waves of the Israeli forces arrests and the search in the West Bank and arrest a lot of the so-called the prisoners, uh, so-called the, the possible uh, uh, the, the, the Palestinians uh, that who has a very possible connections with so-called the terrorism in this region. So that I think that is why it might become the time bomb if the, the war continues in the Gaza Strip and when, if there are no peace uh, dialogue between Israel and Palestinians in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Rick, uh, you know, here earlier you mentioned, you know, we all talked about this, uh, you know, a lasting peace, you know, hopefully a ceasefire long enough to stop the violence. And of course, the long term, uh, you know, there's a need of enduring peace uh, resolution for the conflicts between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, the international community has been uh, basically positive about a two state solution. But with a recent flare-up, do you think is the two-state solution is getting nearer or more remote uh, as a solution to the problem? Well, this is a paradox. 
I think it's getting much closer as a possibility, as, as, as a political possibility, because the pressure um, from Israel's allies is much greater uh, on Israel to, to agree to a two-state solution. Uh, chances are that Benjamin Netanyahu uh, will be out of power when this is all solved. He is, uh, he is strongly against a two-state solution. So in that way, we have a, an opportunity. The bad side is that the Palestinian uh, citizens have become uh, radicalized by this. And, uh, and the recent poll has shown overwhelming opposition to a two-state solution. An overwhelming majority of Palestinians want the eradication of Israel. They want one state, uh, which is a Palestinian state. And so I think that it's going to be complicated. Uh, the support for Hamas has grown uh, in Gaza uh, and probably, although I'm not certain, in the West Bank uh, since the war. So I think that the, the, the political situation will be more complicated from the Palestinian standpoint and less complicated from the Israeli and the Western political standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter, do you think the two-state solution is still the choice uh, to really achieve a long-lasting peace here? Yeah, I agree with what Rick said. Um, it'll be complicated for both sides to, achieve, to agree to a two-state solution. Um, in the 2000s, after the Camp David Accords, it would, the two-state solution was very close to being signed and agreed upon by both sides. The area of contention was ownership of Jerusalem. I believe Yasser Arafat, who was leader of the PLO at the time and the president of Palestine, uh, refused the Camp David Accords on grounds that he did not agree that Jerusalem still belonged to Israel. So I agree that it's, much, much, it's a much, much more complicated issue today, given that many Palestinians and many uh, of the population in the Arab world will be much more radicalized against Israel. But I still do think that it is the most viable and feasible solution. I don't see, it's very difficult to imagine that a country as significant as Israel could be eradicated from the Middle East in place of a Palestinian state or, and it would be also very morally uh, bad if the Palestinian people were just to be eradicated by the Israelis. Mm -hmm. Wang Jian, uh, do you see, I mean, as we said, probably most of people would agree in a two-state solution, either solution, but uh, in terms of the reality, yeah. you know, what about the possibility, the likelihood to you know, achieve a two-state solution, uh, especially you know, related to these conflicts? Uh, I think the two-state solution should be continue to be maintained as the only principles for the settlements of Israelis and the Palestinians, lasting and just peace. Uh, but maybe more things should be done. But we have to say that, yes, to sometimes, sometimes better worse than never, uh, better worse than never, because there is another, exceptionally, there, there has been no other choices. There has been no other plan that could be widely accepted by the international society. So the two-state solution principle should be maintained, should be insisted. Mm -hmm. Earlier, I also talked to a Comfort Era president and CEO of International Crisis Group about the Israel-Hamas conflict. Right now, the big concern that we have is how you deal with the humanitarian catastrophe that is facing um, Gaza. So it's very good that President Biden is calling for a humanitarian pause. 
we have pushed for a ceasefire um, because the death tolls are just astronomical. I think the key issue that we're looking right now also is that this doesn't escalate into a regional war. So acutely aware of the important role that China has played vis-a-vis -vis the rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia, that needs to hold. It was very important that MB, MB, MBS picked up the phone to, the, um, to Raisi um, in Iran. And I think getting those two um, on side is crucial and China's been, been an important player. On the same side, the, um, getting Biden to continue to pressure, to influence, to nudge um, Netanyahu to make sure that we contain this, but also get that ceasefire. Um, it's, you know, the, you know the, the strategy of Israel is very clearly two objectives on destroying Hamas you know, and also getting the hostages back and, and then the prisoner of war. And those are important um, um, strategies um, as far as Israel is concerned to address its own um, security concerns. But I think getting Biden and um, Xi Jinping on the same side in terms of averting an escalation, getting that humanitarian pause, bringing back um, aid into, into Gaza, restoring the infrastructure and the livelihoods um, of so many um, Palestinians who are not in support of Hamas is, is crucial. Yeah, and there are you know, common grounds uh, you know, between Beijing and Washington. Mm. For example, both countries benefit from an open uh, global trade system. Yes. I mean, then you need peace and stability, including in the region of the Middle East. Yeah, you need peace and stability. Um, you need to deal, I, I think what this, um, this crisis now between um, Israel and Hamas has shot a spotlight on is that you, you, you cannot avert the fundamental issue of dealing with the rights of Palestinians. You've got to deal with the sense of security and insecurity that Israel faces, but to get there, the path in which to address that is also to squarely put the future of Palestinians and their aspirations on the table. Now, that's not to justify what happened on the 7th of October. October 7th, yeah, yes. That's not to say that Hamas was bombing in the name of that, but I think the context in which this has taken place, 56 years of occupation and 16 years of that also under siege, I think, you know, that the, the dam was going to burst at one, at one moment. Uh, but again, that's not to justify what Hamas did, but it's to recognize that bigger um, context in which this is taking place in as well. Yeah, obviously the U.S. has some yeah. influence on Israel, from yeah. the only country with some influence on Israel. China can exercise influence on some Iran, Iran. and its allies, yeah, yeah. Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. You know, they can, let's say, neither side wants to see a, a regional war yeah. spill over, right? Look, if there's one glimmer of, of sort of significance also in this is that neither the US or Israel nor Iran wants to see this become a regional war. And I would also imagine that's the same for US-China, that not wanting to see even more um, regional flagration that becomes, that becomes into a global um, 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 piece of security conundrum. So whatever channels each of these leaders have is really important. And you mentioned specifically Iran. It's really important that, that, that there is a door in which um, um, China can speak directly to Tehran and use the, the political agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran as a basis in which to continue to hold both sides um, in agreement and to ensure that we are all working 
towards the same um, goal, which is that we've got to get, um, hard to see what that looks like right now, but we've got to get that political process look um, back on track. And I, I say it's hard to think about that right now because the immediate concern is a humanitarian issue. There's immediate concern about restoring um, Israel's sense of deterrence and security, but you can't deal with that without addressing Palestinian aspirations as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are, there's um, this sense or perception, you know, in the global south, for example, people would question, you know, when there's a similar, let's say, uh, you know, uh, death or toll happening in Ukraine, you know, the west of the say, this is genocide, this is atrocity. But now 10,000 Palestinians were killed, half of them, or majority of them, my children. Yeah. Uh, we are not seeing much strong response. Yeah, from and I the think. West, so yeah, and I think the you know one of the fallout from Ukraine was a sense of double standard hypocrisy um, that you gave more weight to sort of citizens um, suffering and dying in the European um, sort of arena and not pay more attention to um, people of Palestine. That's a very real narrative that plays out um, in the, in the, in the so-called um, Global South and a number of them are looking now in, in the way in which the rights of Palestinians, a number of them in the Global South said you've, you've got to take seriously the rights of Palestinians if you, if you want to ensure that you've got um, our, our support. But we also know that the interest of a number of states in the global south is also paramount as well. So as much as they talk about, um, you know, taking seriously um, the Palestinians, look, let's be also um, frank, a number of, of countries that claim to represent the global south um, haven't always put the Palestinian aspirations at the center. So I think every body, every country um, now has a responsibility. If you are serious about the Palestinian rights, if you are serious about the Palestinian cause, if you are concerned about their fate, then you've, you've got to begin the hard work of, of, of addressing their, their own, you know, addressing a more concrete, a more realistic um, um, peace process as well. And I think this has shone a, a spotlight um, as to how a number of countries haven't addressed seriously um, a, a political and a peaceful track for the people of, of, of Palestine. And I, and I hold a number of countries in the global south also accountable for that as well. Well, that's it for today's show. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. I'm Xu Qingduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 